that, it doesn't work for me. I gotta have more cowbell. Don't blow this for us, Gene! Could be, could be so selfish, Gene. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, baby, just say it. I'm staring here, staring at rock legend Bruce Dickinson. I'm a cock and a walk, baby. And if Bruce Dickinson wants more cowbell, we should probably give him more cowbell. Say it, baby. And Bobby, you are right, I am being selfish. But the last time I checked, we don't have a whole lot of songs that feature the cowbell. I gotta have more cowbell, baby. And I'd be doing myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Thank you, Bruce. But I think if, I think if, I, if I just leave and I'll, maybe I'll come back later. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Once I reviewed each of his works in the chronological order of publication, but Ka is a wheel, it all goes round again, and here I am once more back at the beginning on a new phase of the journey to examine each of the endings of the works of Stephen King to determine whether or not King deserves his reputation for having an inability to successfully land his endings. In previous episodes uh, lately, I have announced that as we move forward, the focus of the podcast would be to examine the climax, the falling action, and the resolution of the endings of each of his novels and break it down by character, themes, conflict, and plot to determine whether or not it meets the criteria of being an objectively good ending. I will also weigh in on whether or not I like the ending. And today's episode, guys, what I will be discussing is the conclusion to The Stand. In last week's episode of The Dead Zone, I stated that I was going to skip The Stand for now and wait until the chronological publication of the um, unabridged edition, but I just felt that I've changed my mind. So last week with uh, The Dead Zone, I said, because of COVID and the coronavirus, maybe now was not the time to talk about the stand. Now, I just feel that it is very apt to actually have that conversation and discuss the ending um, as there are similarities out there in the world. Before I get any further, I wanted to read a review that I have on iTunes um, from Dylan Ord who gives five stars and writes a great podcast. The host has a great enthusiasm for King's work that is evident in each episode. It may not be the flashiest or most polished podcast out there, but the content goes above and beyond. Keep up the excellent work, A++. Thank you, Dylan. Um, so anyone that has a couple minutes on their hands, if you happen to be staying home, for instance, for um, unexpectedly, uh, for reasons that are out of your control and you don't know what to do. Uh, well, one thing that you could do is head on over to iTunes uh, and, and leave a review. That would be greatly appreciated and would help me out a lot. And if you have any longer thoughts that you would like to share, um, please write into stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. Okay, guys. So, like I said, I'm going to be talking about the ending of The Stand and in order for me to discuss the ending of The Stand, let me just put The Stand itself into context by reading the Wikipedia um, summary, which is sectioned off into three different parts for each of the different acts, and it begins with Captain Trips. A remote U.S. Army base, a weaponized strain of influenza, known as Project Blue, is accidentally released inside a secret underground laboratory. Charles Campion, a soldier charged with security, 
manages to escape the base due to a fault in its lockdown slash containment protocols and flees by car with his wife and child. By the time the army tracks Campion down to the East Texas town of Arnett and establishes a uh, cordon sanitaire around it, he, as patient zero, and his wife and daughter have already died of the Project Blue virus and spread it to numerous others beyond the cordon. The virus has 100% infectivity and is resistant to antibodies uh, and vaccines. A pandemic of apocalyptic proportions is triggered as the virus spreads rapidly to other countries, killing off approximately 99.4% of the Earth's human population as well as most animals. A multifaceted narrative told partly from the perspective of primary characters outlines the total breakdown and destruction of society through widespread violence, the failure of martial law to contain the outbreak, the military's increasingly violent efforts to censor information, the rapid collapse of society, the deliberate exposure of the virus in the Soviet Union and China to guarantee their destruction, and finally, the near extinction of humanity. The emotional toll is also portrayed as the few survivors must care for their families and friends, dealing with the confusion and grief as virtually everyone they know succumbs to the disease. The complete and uncut edition opens with a prologue entitled The Circle Opens that offers greater detail into the circumstances surrounding the development of the virus and the security breach that allowed its escape from the secret laboratory compound where it was created. It also expands upon the Army's response to the outbreak, scenes of civil unrest, uh, looting and vigilantism, and deaths caused not directly by the pandemic, but by the resulting collapse of society. Second part, On the Border. Intertwining cross-country odysseys are undertaken by a small number of survivors in three parties, all drawn together by circumstances and their shared dreams of a 108-year-old woman in Hemingford Home, Nebraska, whom they see as an embodiment of good. The woman, Abigail Fremantle, better known as Mother Abigail, becomes the spiritual leader for the survivors. Mother Abigail directs them to Boulder, Colorado, where they struggle to reestablish a democratic society called the Free Zone. Meanwhile, another group of survivors is drawn to Las Vegas by Randall Flagg, an evil being with supernatural powers. Flagg's group is able to quickly reorganize its society, restore power to Las Vegas, and rebuild the city with the many technical professionals who have migrated there. Flag's group launches a weapons program searching what remains of the United States for suitable arms. Mother Abigail, feeling that she has become prideful due to her pleasure at being a public figure, disappears into the wilderness on a jury of spiritual um, reconciliation. During her absence, the Free Zone's leadership committee decides to secretly send three people to Flag's territory to act as spies. Harold Lauder and Nadine Cross, who are disaffected Free Zone inhabitants tempted by Flag, stage an attack on the committee with a bomb. The explosion killed several people, but most of the committee members avoid the explosion thanks to Mother Abigail's return. The complete an uncut edition expands on a character seen only in flashbacks in the original novel, the kid modeled after spree killer Charles Starkweather. The kid travels west through Colorado with the trash can man, one of Flagg's recruited henchmen. He states to the trash can man that he intends to kill Flagg and take over as the leader in Vegas when he arrives. In response, Flagg causes a pack of wolves to descend on the two travels, travelers, allowing the trash can man to flee unharmed but the wolves kill the kid after a standoff. Stu Redman's party, which is sent to Vegas later in the novel, find the kid's remains and dub him the Wolfman. Section 3 is The Stand. 
The stage is now set for the final confrontation as Flag's group becomes aware of the threat from the free zone. No pitched battle occurs, however. Instead, at Mother Abigail's dying behest, four of the five surviving members of the leadership committee, Glenn Bateman, Stu Redman, Ralph Bretner, and Larry Underwood, set off on foot towards Las Vegas on an expedition to confront Flag. Stu breaks his leg en route and persuades the others to go on without him, telling him that God will provide for them, God will provide for him if that's what's meant to happen. The three remaining are soon taken prisoner by Flag's army. When Glenn refuses to grovel before Flag, he is killed by Lloyd Henry, Flag's second in command. Flag gathers his entire collective to witness the execution of Brittner and Underwood. Moments before they are to be killed, the trash can man arrives with a retrieved nuclear warhead. Flag conjures a magical ball of energy in an attempt to silence a dissenter, but it's, tran- but it's transformed into a giant glowing hand, the hand of God, which detonates the bomb, destroying Las Vegas and killing all of Flag's flower- followers in addition to Larry and Ralph. The inhabitants of Boulder anxiously await the birth of the baby of Stu's lover, Francis Goldsmith. She had been pregnant before the plague began by her boyfriend. They fear that the child may not, <laughs> and the child, I'm going to insert myself here, not and I repeat, is not the Crimson King. Longtime listeners of this show will know that I made a joke um, in my review of The Stand, and um, there's nothing funnier than having to explain a joke uh, because some listeners did not know I was joking and then uh, uh, believed that I was being serious when I posited that Franny's child uh, was the Crimson King. I don't think that... I mean, I, I'm not, here I go again, I'm relitigating it. Franny's Child is not the Crimson King, never thought it was, but I'm putting it out there, just in case anyone uh, has not listened to my podcast since that original stand episode. Um, okay, uh, let me see, where did I leave off? Uh, uh, the fear that the child may not pro- possess an immunity to the superflu and may die, implying a permanent end to humanity. Soon after she gives birth to her son, Stu returns to Boulder, having been rescued first by dog Kojak and then by Tom Cullen, the only survivor of the three Free Zone spies. The baby, Peter, manages to fight off the superflu. The original edition of the novel ends with Fran and Stu questioning whether the human race can learn from its mistakes. The answer, given in the last line, is ambiguous. I don't know. The complete and uncut edition follows this with a brief, brief epilogue. The circle closes, which leaves a darker impression. While Stu, Fran, and baby Peter leave Boulder and return to Fran's hometown in Maine to establish a home front in the east, an amnesia-stricken flag wakes up on a beach to an unknown island, having somehow escaped the atomic blast in Vegas by using his dark magic to teleport away at the last second. There, he begins recruiting adherents among a preliterate, dark-skinned people who worship him as a deity. Okay, um, so I, I decided to do this without... Um, emailing anyone uh so i I haven't really elicited any um feedback on what you think about the ending of the stand but feel free to write in about the ending of the stand and how you feel about it because on the next episode i'll be able to share your thoughts all right so when we talk about the ending of the stand i'm going to talk about the climax onward so from uh the point that ralph larry and glenn arrive in las vegas they confront flag flag holds a public execution trash can man arrives ba-boom you might want to make the argument that the true climax comes when uh um Stu breaks his leg but i'm going to state that the climax um 
is when the, uh, the representatives of Boulder arrive in Las Vegas. That's the climax. The falling action is Stu making his long journey back to Boulder with the help of Tom Cullen. Franny has her baby. And the resolution is Stu and Franny, they reflect on their time, and King hints at a dark future for humanity with the rise of a fascist police state in Boulder. And of course, just the, the button at the end with flag on the island. So let's talk about the criteria for a good ending, um, as opposed to a uh, subjective ending along the lines of, did I like it? Um, so in order to determine whether or not it is quote unquote a good ending, I'm going to answer a series of questions, the first of which is this. Does it provide an appropriate conclusion to its characters that are consistent with the characters' actions, conflicts, or themes of the book? The answer is a resounding yes. Um, every one of the characters are serviced well by Stephen King, um, whether it is uh, you know, Larry coming full circle um, and giving his life for others, and if you go back and listen to my uh, three or four part review of The Stand, um, you know, I, I you know, discuss Larry as the book's protagonist that, you know, even though Stu um, might be our hero and Nick is the one that, you know, we, we might care for deeply um, and Mother Abigail is our, you know, figurehead, really at its heart, uh, it's Larry's journey that he takes both uh, figuratively and literally so for him to um, be, you know, uh, called a taker by his mother early on in the novel, for him to cross the country and become a, a person that is willing to give everything uh, for, for nothing short of humanity itself, um, that is a, a perfect resolution for that particular character. Um, you know, what happens with Flag, um, his... his um, his lack of control, um, the, the the facade slipping that he ever really had control, um, I, the the realization that he is not this big bad, but instead he's just um, you know uh, an, an opportunist um, that runs away in the face of of true confrontation. That he's really nothing more than just a, a, a weak, cowardly bully. Um, that is certainly in line with the character. Trash can man's uh, misguided obsession with Flag, um, you know him completely losing his mind while being, um, you know, obsessed with fire and explosions. Of course, him coming back with an atomic bomb is hilariously in line with the character. Um, the, the 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 quiet strength of Glenn leading to his death. Um, all of it, all of it is. Um, very, very consistent uh, with the characters. Um, and Stu's resolve, no matter what, to keep going and to not give in. Um, you know, even though his leg is broken and he thinks he's the, the last person around um, to, to keep on going and being saved and allowing himself to be saved, it, it, it's, it's all truthful to who the characters were established as being uh, throughout the, the preceding, what, 900 pages? So yes, I would say that it, it provides an appropriate conclusion to its characters that have been consistent with the characters' actions, conflicts, and themes from the book. Next question is, does it successfully wrap up the plot? Specifically, do the events build upon one another with consistency? 
Um, and the answer is, yeah, it, it definitely wraps up the plot. The plot is about what happens when the world ends. It starts off with um, the virus spreading across the, the, the world and establishing this post-apocalyptic um, setting in which the characters have to rebuild. And from start to finish, King answers what happens. What does that look like? Um, with the, the, the original question of what if a super flu gets out and kills off 99.4% of the human population, King answers that. Um, and he shows what happens when you stand. All right, The book is called The Stand. So I would say that with the premise of the title and the premise of the book, it, it wraps up the plot um, but leaves enough um, ambiguity um, to, for, for us as readers to mull over um, because there, there is no set answer for what humanity will ever do next or what the inherent truth of humanity is. Are we inherently good? Are we inherently bad? Are we inherently um, uh, selfless? Are we inherently selfish? Um, these are questions that have been asked by philosophers and sociologists, um, uh, priests um, for, for, for a millennia, um, and Stephen King isn't going to come to an answer, but he, he definitely shows the, the strength of humanity at this particular time in humanity's history, but then leaves enough um, of a question for it to be truthful. Um, but in terms of wrapping up the plot that began with the superflu getting out, um, it concludes with um, good looking evil in the eye saying no and standing, um, and then the, the good being rewarded for their actions. So yes, I would say that it successfully wraps up the plot. And similarly, yes, it serves the theme, symbolism, and, and motifs. So like I said about Larry, um, the, the, the story of Larry and Larry's sacrifice and Larry's growth and it, it shows that you know if he was I don't want to say the worst of society but kind of typical of what society can can bring out within a person if he represents humanity by um, sacrificing himself at the end then yes um, I would say that it, it, it does um, serve the, the, the theme and of course, like I've said before, in this, in uh, already in this podcast, but the the episode, um, the episodes of the stand and in other podcasts as well, um, the book is not called the fight. The book is called the stand. King is stating that it is the the mission of our characters to look evil in the eye and say, "No, I will not bend to you." Um, and sometimes th that that is enough. And in this case, it reveals to Flag that that challenge to his um, his uh, false um, power, his his false control, his his you know his false uh, um, dictatorship um, is. It, it threatens it. It, it, it reveals him um, and his his government to be weak, um, and, and that to me is very inspiring. And that can be applied on the smallest level. If there's a bully in your life that you can just say no, um, or if there is a bully in office, you can vote that that person out. But it for 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 me, it's revealing the um, the the false the false strength that the evil. Um, the more evil of us uh, tend to uh, present themselves to be. And that it's a balloon um, that is easily popped 
um, with just a little bit of, of defiance um, and resolve. So yes, I would say that it serves the theme, the symbolisms, and the motifs. What is the most famous scene in the novel and does it appear in the conclusion of the story? Th this particular question is not designed to argue that a conclusion needs the most famous scene. I mean, I just, I, 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 I like this question because sometimes it does. Um, and I think that it allows the scene to pop a little bit more. I don't want to judge a novel um, for not including the, the most famous scene, which in the case of The Stand probably is the uh, Lincoln Tunnel um, scene when Larry has to, to go through uh, the, the, the Lincoln Tunnel. Um, that's typically, I think, what most people think of um, when, when they think of the, the, the most famous scene. It does not appear in the conclusion. I'm not holding it against it. And are there any other factors that we need to consider? Well, uh, yes, I think that we need to consider the fact that, um, and I, I'm not trying to make light of this whatsoever, um, but right now, I mean, okay, as I'm recording this, I'm pouring hand sanitizer into my hands right now. There is a lot of uncertainty in the world. Uh, there is a lot of fear um, as, you know, we become quarantined, as we, um, you know, as we watch the internet um, and, and see footage um, of, of quarantined um, countries and death tolls rising and empty uh, grocery stores and um, selfish people stockpiling uh, you know, necessities and goods and trying to sell them for an inflated price. We, we're, we're seeing aspects of, of the worst of humanity out there right now. Um, as our civilization and as our, and as our society is, is threatened by an external force um, that we, uh, we were not prepared for. Um, obviously, the events within the stand are, um, they're stylistic um, in, in terms of the, the, the numbers of, of the dead and the, the, the statistics of the mortality rate, and that's not comparable to what's occurring right now with COVID-19. Um, at the same time, there are definitely similarities to, to be drawn if you have read The Stand. I mean, for anyone that's, that's read The Stand or watched the ABC uh, 90s um, movie version of it, then, you know, it's hard to watch the news and it's hard to, um, you know, look on the internet without thinking of it. So, yeah, there are factors right now um, that just make the story a little bit more ominous, I think, than um, it was on any prior reread because it, right now, it just feels like we're, we're in the first 400 pages of The Stand and... You know, I don't think that any of us have had start, you know, started having dreams of, of a dark man walking through the corn or a lovely old woman um, sitting and singing on a rocking porch. Um, but I know that, um, that if I start to have those dreams, I hope to see all of you in Hemmerford home um, when, we, uh, when we start to make our way towards uh, Boulder, Colorado. Um, so, I, again, I don't want to make light of anything, but I, I do want to point out that in, in, in many ways, uh, this, um, 
This novel is very ahead of its time in a lot of the ways that Stephen King books and ideas tend to be. Um, you know, I, I tweeted out that, that right now um, Stilson is president. We're living in the first part of the stand, and the number of the coronavirus is the number 19. Uh, that's just a lot of Stephen King in the real world for this particular time. Uh, so that's, it's, it's scary stuff, um, but, you know, um, there's definitely precautions that we can take. So just be safe, guys. You know, stay home, listen to the Stephen King cast, watch Netflix, watch HBO, um, hang out with your family if, you know, they live with you. Um, you know, utilize, uh, you know, FaceTime, Google Hangouts, you know, whatever, uh, to stay in touch with people. Uh, we have the, the infrastructure for um, social distancing and, and to keep each other safe in order to flatten the curve. Uh, so please, please do what you can um, to just make this world as safe as possible. So I, I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead away from things right now, but I, going back to what I was saying, do I like the ending? Yes. From I, I like I, I like this the ending very very much. Um, I, I like the ending, and I think that based on everything that uh, you know I had talked about, I, I think that also falls under the the category of being a good ending as well. So this is another example of uh, Stephen King uh, being able to pull off an ending that I happen to like and an objectively good ending because it serves the characters, it serves the themes, it serves the plot. Um, it it it. It, it fulfills the promise of the title um, and the premise of the book. So all around, I think that it, it wraps things up very cleanly, very consistently um, to, to, to be a, an objective, good ending. Okay, guys, what I'm going to do now is read some listener email. Um, so up first, we have Jeff, who writes, Dear Constant Reader, I have been meaning to write to you literally for years. I discovered your podcast in 2016 when I began my own Stephen King reread and have listened to episodes as I finish books and or adaptations. I first discovered King at a junior high school book fair where I purchased It and Night Shift. I became a fan immediately and went back and read all of his previous books. Subsequently, I purchased and read all of his books upon release through Desperation, The Regulators. After graduating from college, I drifted away from Mr. King, reading only a handful of his books between 97 and 2016. My impetus for rereading his novels in chronological order was a conversation with my brother who said that King doesn't know how to end his books, citing specifically The Stand as having a terrible ending and It as having a gross ending. Your recent redefinition of the podcast fits well within why I started my reread. The reason I am finally writing is to ask a question that hasn't been that has been bothering me for years. Maybe I've missed it because I skipped around your podcast episodes, but why didn't you review The Colorado Kid or Blaze? I assumed it was because you hated those novels, but just today I listened to your 2010 uh, Decade in Review podcast and you commented that you had never read The Colorado Kid. If that's the case, how did you decide to not review it? In my opinion, it's a complicated novel to review, perhaps because it's a piece with From a Buick 8 in being a story about stories with no clear resolution. It's actually one of two King novels that I have read more than twice. I've read The Stand, probably my favorite King novel, five times and listened to the audiobook. I hated The Colorado Kid so much I read it again about 10 years ago on a plane to see if I had missed something. Reading it again in 2018, I actually enjoyed it. I went in with a better understanding of where King was as a writer at that time, and I feel like I really got where he was coming from. Blaze, I have less interest in. It's fairly generic, particularly as it comes to King. At any rate, I'm curious why you skipped those two novels. 
Um, so, Jeff, the reason why I skipped those novels is because at that point in the publication of those books, if I was during the original um, part of the podcast when I was going through each of the books chronologically speaking, I saw the, the light at the end of the tunnel um, and I had not read The Colorado King or Blaze and I didn't want to shut down my flow because um, I was really in a zone at that point. I didn't want to shut down my flow to, to read and dissect um, two new books to me, whereas I was familiar with everything else that was coming up. So the reread would not slow me down. I had a kid on the way, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I just, I didn't want to interrupt the flow that I was in, and it was a, it was a really, really good flow. I needed to get to the end of the podcast mission, um, and I, I don't think that I would have been able to if I had stopped to analyze two new books. So that, that's the reason for that. I'm going to get to it at, at some point, but that, that's the, the answer to your question. Jeff continues, I'm presently uh, rereading 11.22.63, so still several novels away from catching up to you and King's overall output. This won't stop me from giving you a top 10 list of King's novels that I have read or reread. And his top 10 list is It, The Stand, The Shining, Under the Dome, Duma Key, The Wastelands, The Green Mile, The Drawing of the Three, Bag of Bones, and The Talisman. I strongly suspect that 11.22.63 and Revival will be strong contenders for my top 10. Thank you for a fantastic podcast, Jeff. Jeff, thank you for writing in. Thank you for, um, you know, asking me about uh, Revival, um, um, Colorado Kid and Blaze. Uh, I don't know if I, if I clearly had explained why I hadn't touched those, but that's, that's, that's why. So, I mean, as you continue uh, your, your reread, make sure that you, you know, continue to send along um, your thoughts. And then um, I have Paul who writes, Hello, I have recently discovered your podcast and I love it. You and Stephen King make my day enjoyable. I apologize for not discovering the cast earlier, but I'm just getting into podcasts and this is my favorite. Well, thank you. Um, I find great delight in the background noises of your dogs snoring, barking, and lapping water. Keep up the great work. You have fans who are constant listeners. I do have one question for you. Sadly, I do admit to not to being new to the podcast, so I'm years behind in commentary and analysis. My question is, did you like the Dark Tower movie, and what is your take? Um, Paul continues, I did in fact like the movie. I loved Idris Elba's portrayal as the gunslinger as well as Matthew McConaughey playing Walter the Man in Black. Your thoughts. Thank you so much for your time, Paul. Um, Paul, um, actually, um, uh, as I record this, it just came out that uh, Idris Elba uh, has the coronavirus. Um, so get well, get well, gunslinger. Uh, Paul, unfortunately, I did not like the Dark Tower movie. Um, you know, if, if you're listening to this now, um, you might want to go back to the summer of 2017 and find that particular episode. I, I go in deeply as to what I did not like about that movie. Unfortunately, it was just not... It was not for me. Um, and then we have uh, Dan who writes, Hi, great podcast. I'm a constant reader since I first picked up Carrie in 1979 at the age of 14. I've listened to a lot of your episodes and love them all so far. They're very insightful, and I find your take on the books interesting and thought-provoking. My only gripe is that I can't seem to find an app that... Um, and then he continues, uh, Unfortunately, the, the, there's an issue with... Um, the, the Podbean service, I think, syncing up with uh, some some apps. So I'm gonna, if if you are having problems downloading the apps, let me know so I can let Podbean, the, the hosting site, know, and, and hopefully that they they can uh, um, fix it. 
Okay, then I have two emails regarding Cujo, and I'm actually going to wait on those emails until I get to the Cujo episode, um, and I'll, I'll read them then. So, guys, if you have any thoughts at all around the, the ending of The Stand, any endings that you know we have talked about so far, just the endings of Stephen King in general, um, please write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. Okay, um, one thing I did not do that I, I think that I probably should do is discuss the ending of The Outsider because that was actually one of the, 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 the reasons why I decided to start this particular journey with the Stephen King cast was there was a lot of conversation around The Outsider, um, the HBO miniseries based on the novel by Stephen King. There was a lot of conversation around whether or not the, the ending of The Outsider would um, be good because, quote-unquote, Stephen King doesn't know how to end his books. Um, and at that point, I, 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 you know, that's why I wanted to start this, uh, this, uh, th- this part of the podcast um, because I don't entirely agree with that. Um, okay, so with that said, the... The uh, the Outsider uh, episode ten has come, uh, and it dropped last week. Um, I've been I wanted to, to talk about it, but I've been kind of busy. Um, but I, I figured that I would talk about it um, now. So I had covered episodes one, two, and three, I think, of The Outsider, and then I just let it be. I just wanted to enjoy it. I didn't want to dissect it. But needless to say, if you re- if you listen to my review of episodes one, two, and, and I think three, um, I, w- I was very much in love with The Outsider. Um, and generally speaking, um, nine out of ten ain't bad. Um, let me get into the, the, the ending of The Outsider, but let me ask, let, let me do it through um, the, the, the criteria that I, I have established um, to, to measure the endings here. So, does it provide an appropriate conclusion to its characters that are consistent with the characters' actions, conflicts, or themes from the books? It's a mixed bag. I think the answer is definitely a mixed bag. Um, the, the, the characters uh, being consistent with the, the characters' actions, conflicts, and themes from the book, um, on some levels, yes. On, in some cases, no. Um, you know, clearly all of our characters, the, the, they end up very similarly to the, um, to the characters in the book. So I should say right now, spoiler alert for The Outsider, but, um, you know, Jack gets bitten by the, the, the rattlesnake. He kills himself. Um, you know, Holly and Ralph face off against El Cuco. Um, Holly leaves. It's kind of open-ended. Um, some characters live. Some characters die. Um, Glory um, has a resolution. Uh, the DA, um, she and the DA have a moment together. Um, so to a certain extent, yes. Um, there, there is consistency within the, the characters' actions, conflicts, or themes from the book. From a character standpoint, I would say yes with an asterisk um, that I, I don't know that in terms of time distribution, the fact that the show had spent so much time in the first nine episodes really spending time with these characters in in moments that we typically don't see in television, we didn't get to experience that level of, that distribution of time with them after the show had 
in the wake of the the, the events um, of 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 the, the of of the the this particular episode, it kind of felt rushed. There was a level of of um, of just kind of pl- plowing through this um, in in the aftermath of El Cuco. So I would say, yeah, I would say that it is an appropriate conclusion, but not to the best of what it it had been or what it could be. The next question is, does it successfully wrap up the plot? Specifically, do the events build upon one another with consistency? Yes, it picks up where it last left off um, in in episode nine um, with the shootout. The the first section of the conclusion of this 10-part miniseries is... Um, the shootout outside of the cave, then the characters head into the cave. They have their showdown with the outsider, the El Cuco, um, the El Cuco, El Cuco. And then um, it's, it's the, 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 the resolution and the falling action from that where they, they sort of clean it up. Um, the problem is, is that there, there is a lack of clarity to what's occurring from a plot perspective. Um, when they are, um, I, I'm not entirely sure if they're trying to pin it entirely on Jack. They, they say that Jack is an accomplice to someone. I don't know if they've been able to identify that particular someone. Did they say that they were able to um, stop the person that was in the cave? Did they, um, are, are they telling the authorities that there was a confrontation with who they believed the um, perpetrator was within the cave? I was unclear about that. It is very unclear why Holly says, who's Terry? That is a, that is a big um, swing and a miss that caused so much confusion during, the, um, during a scene that is supposed to be very clear um, and a, a, a scene that everything has been leading to this, this moment of confrontation. And then to, to throw a, a line like that that just causes confusion, it takes the viewer out and it raises doubt about the ability to land a particular ending. It was a very unnecessary line. I'm still confused by it. Um, I have heard that it is intended to um, imply that the cover-up is beginning, That, but still that doesn't really really make a lot of sense. So there was that. There was Ralph seeing the dead children in the cave. Um, again, it was very confusing. I didn't really know who it was. I, I assumed that one of them was his son, um, but I didn't know who the other one at first was. Turns out that the other one is the brother of Frankie Peterson. I don't know why it's the brother of Frankie Peterson and not Frankie Peterson or any other victim for, for that matter. Uh, I guess because Ralph was the one that shot him. Yeah, sure, whatever. But in that moment, it's jarring, it's confusing. We knew that two kids went missing within that cave, so to have two kids in the cave at that time dressed in modern attire, it's, it, it clashes with your understanding of what the show had established that thus far. It's unnecessarily confusing during a scene that does not need to be confusing. If anything, it should be clear. The show was very clear with what the rules are in, in terms of what the, the supernatural aspects um, of this particular character are in terms of this character scratches you, the character takes your DNA, and then can shapeshift into you and frame you for a murder. Um, the character can also bend the will of vulnerable people that are, are, are weak enough on a spiritual level um, to do thy bidding, 
um, but ultimately the 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 El Cuco, the El Cuco, um, is is not strong, is is weak. Now we're throwing in in ghosts, and we're not quite sure why the ghosts are there, or who even the ghosts are. We're we're not entirely sure if the ghosts are metaphysical, um, if they are, if it's metaphorical, if they're literal ghosts. It was Ralph really seeing those dead children there, or was that his conscience? Um, There are too many questions here, and I think that in that moment, we are led to believe that, no, he actually saw spirits, not his conscience, which I I, I, I bristle at with that particular character. Um, And then, of course, there is the the stinger at the end where Holly has the scratch, and we're led to believe that the— El Cuco will continue somehow, but even that, her having the scratch, it it um, it flies in the face of what the show had gone to great staking pains to do to establish what the rules are. Okay, so she has a scratch. It doesn't mean anything because the scratch means that El Cuco takes your DNA to then shapeshift into Holly, but the character is dead. Therefore, that scratch does not matter. Like, the scratch doesn't turn you into a shapeshifter. It doesn't turn you into El Cuco. They might, they, they might change the rules at the very end to continue season two because there are two moments within the end of season two where they, they, they allowed two different backdoors to a sequel. One is Ralph saying to Holly, and I think the line is verbatim, I'm looking forward to working with you in season two. I think he said that. Um, to Holly, meaning that if anything kind of unknowable or supernaturally occurs, he would not be opposed to to, to hooking up with her to, to take it down to be the the, the, the scully to her molder. Um, and similarly, at, at the end, there's the other backdoor uh, to a um, potential uh, season two with the, the, the scratch. So they're leaving it, it is as open as possible, depending on how they want to pivot to a second season, when personally I think they should just leave it alone. But in terms of the plot, at the end, they muddied it. They, they muddied the waters. Um, so I, I, I don't know if I can, if I can say that the, the events build upon one another with consistency. At the con- does the conclusion serve this, the theme, the symbolisms, and the motifs? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it ends in the, the graveyard. Um, Frankie, the, the ghost of Frankie Peterson has is, is been able to, to lay to rest. Um, Terry Maitland is um, is honored by uh, having his name cleared. So all all of that is good, um, you know. So I would say, yeah, it, it serves the, the 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 themes, the symbolisms, the motif. Justice has been done. Ralph has gone through his journey. His character arc is complete. Again, it kind of dipped more into. Um, seeing literal ghosts than him wrestling with the ghost of his son which I have a problem with but he is now a believer it was a a, a show about um, a man's journey to becoming a believer he has become a believer he is now open to a world that is much larger than he had um, known it to be I would say that yes it does uh, conclude Um, it does serve the theme the symbolisms and the motifs are there other factors that we need to consider? Um, yeah, so like I said, it, it gets confusing at the end for, for reasons that it, it doesn't have to be. And 
honestly, it, everything was was barreling not towards the shootout, but towards the confrontation with the, the with the, the outsider, El Cuco. Um, and I, I realized that one one question that maybe I should be asking during the the analysis of endings is, does it um, does it exceed the premise of the concept? Or um, does it live up to the author's intentions? Does the, is the author able to fulfill his or her intentions? Um, and in this case, I don't believe that the um, confrontation in the cave lives up to the expectations of what that, um, what that confrontation should be. And it doesn't subvert expectations. So I, I don't believe that it necessarily, it, that it specifically and purposely swerves to undercut the expectations that you thought. Um, I think as they made their way through the caves, I thought it was building very nicely. We get to see that, um, you know, she kind of has a, if it bleeds, we can kill it line. Um, You know, where we see that he needs to hold the handrail. It's great establishing that this thing is beatable, it is weak. We hear the the sort of um, uh, Wizard of Oz, the man behind the curtain, when you hear how powerful he sounds from the cave and he tells him to come in and... (sighs) But... um, but ultimately, it, that conversation, that confrontation felt lacking uh, to me. Um, I think that there could have been more of a conversation around purpose, around existence, around what it is, what makes us human, what separates this thing. Um, I just, I, I feel like it, it just, it did not live up to the expectations that it had set forth for itself. Um, and so with all of this said and done, I felt, I felt that it was rushed. I felt like the confrontation between El Cuco and our, our characters um, did not live up to what it could be. I felt that it was sloppily handled in the end with it trying to leave itself open um, for um, season two. Um, so all in all, Oh, and then there, there's a particular look with the, the shootout that was employed uh, with quick cuts and a style of grit. I don't know the terminology. Um, but for me personally, visually, aesthetically, it kind of always like rubs me the wrong way. I, I don't like that particular look. With that said, I think that the objectively speaking, the shootout was done nicely. Subjectively speaking, I did not like the look of the shootout. I just want to say that. And if anyone knows what I'm talking about here, um, I know Ridley Scott in the early 2000s uh, used this particular look in a lot of his movies. Um, I, I just can't get behind it. Um, okay, so do I like the ending? No, I did not like the ending to The Outsider. I did not like this episode. Is it a good ending? It's a meh ending, I, I, I think. So I, some people seem to like it. Some people don't. But I think that quality-wise, it dipped. I think that episodes one through nine established a, a level of quality, and this is below the quality that um, the, the first nine episodes had established. Um, so personally, I did not like the ending, and I don't think that it's it's a good ending, um, unfortunately, for all of the reasons that I, that, that I had listed um, before. I, I think that uh, it, it really made things confusing in the conclusion when it should have been the most clear um, and I don't think that that was a purposeful decision on, on on their part but with that said going back to endings I don't think that endings are everything I'm not judging the outsider 
because of the, this particular hour. There's still good to be had in this particular hour of television. The shootout was done very well. Um, you know, Ralph and Jeannie at their son's grave is beautiful. Um, Glory being able to, to have her moment of at least moral victory, which is tinged with tragedy, um, it's, it's really, really well done. Um, so there are there are great beats here. There, there's a even in something that isn't as good as the previous nine episodes. It's still good. There's still a level of of, of quality here, um, and it doesn't take away from my strong recommendation of The Outsider as a gripping piece of television and one of the best Stephen King adaptations that have ever existed. So this was, I'm really fortunate, I'm very grateful for The Outsider because it really catapulted me to do this um, examination of Stephen King endings. And so I, I felt that I would be dropping the ball if I did not cover the ending of The Outsider. Okay, guys, if you have any thoughts on The Outsider, write into at yahoo.com. And um, next week I will be back to talk about Firestarter. So um, thank you guys for listening. I know this is a longer, longer episode than, than normal. I jam kind of squeezed in two episodes and then this one particular episode. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe. Um, you know, follow the rules that are being uh, set out um, because, you know, we don't want to spread Captain Trips to anybody else, um, you know. And there are worse things in the world than being, um, uh, you know, quarantined in your house when a lot of us, you know, do get to live in, in some level of comfort. Um, you know, what's cool is that Universal just stated that they were going to release uh, The Invisible Man and The Hunt um, on on demand this Friday, I'm I'm very excited about that because I didn't get a chance to, to see either of those in the theater, and I'm I'm really looking forward to checking those out. So, if this becomes the next thing, um, you know, I, I, I that's pretty cool. So there's I just texted a friend of mine um, last night, and um, you know, there's definitely some positive fallout from this. You know, it it reminds society the inherent importance of service. You know, the, the fact that we all should stay home and we are all called to, to fulfill that duty, you know, I think that it kind of brings us together. Um, it allows families to come together in inventive ways, you know. I, I, I think that it makes us all be very appreciative of the people in our lives. Three, it shines a light on what the government can really do, and it holds politicians in the future to ensuring a better infrastructure. Four, it will make the aftermath of all of this so much more appreciated. appreciated. And it lets you appreciate the little things, knowing how fragile civilization really is. So I think that we will get through this. I will do my part by trying to, to make sure that the podcast keeps going as long as it possibly can, um, even though we'll all be busy in our own ways, um, though time is freed up for, for many of us, um, we'll all be busy in, in our own ways. So, um, you know, uh, stay in touch, guys. Write into Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. Uh, leave a review on iTunes if you get a chance. Keep me in your... Uh, podcast feed so i can get it out there um and i'll be back uh next week with firestarter so may you have long days and pleasant nights and i'll see you here then where m-o-o-n spells stephen king cast i got a fever and the only prescription is more cowbell thank you bruce i think if 
Like if, I, if I just leave and uh, maybe I'll come back later, we can lay down the cowbell. Come on, baby. Gene, wait. Why don't you lay down that cowbell right now with us together? Do you mean that, Eric? Oh, yeah. Space for all of us. Thank you. Babies, before we're done here, y'all be wearing gold-plated diapers. What does that mean? Never question Bruce Dickinson. Roll it. One, two, three, four.